Hey, welcome to the Jesus Magnet. Thanks for coming back and listening to another episode. We have a fantastic testimony today um, from my one and only earthly father, Mark Hillary. And I've also got George as the other host. How are you two doing? Good, thanks. Toby? Hey, Joel. Morning. Morning, Mark. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on, Mark, uh, Dad. (laughs) I really appreciate you coming on and and having the boldness and the courage to share your testimony. It's a wild story, um, and I've been there for bits of it, (laughs) the the last half. (laughs) And, um, yeah, thank you for coming on. It's, it's, It's a big step coming out and just sharing what God's done in your life uh, through ups and downs. It shows humility and transparency, um, and at the end of the day, shines a light on how God's totally transformed us um, and how he's always been there with us. And yeah, so Mark, do you just want to share who you are, where you're from, um, and you can start your story? Yeah, hi. Um, I'm Mark, Joel's dad, and George's friend. Yeah. And thanks for the opportunity, and anyone listening to this, I appreciate your time, realise that it's valuable, but this time, hopefully, we will share something that will encourage you, especially when the chips are down, and you think there's nowhere to go, there's always somewhere to go. Um, Mm. I'd like to just give a brief overview of my life, I'm... 60 years old this year and I've been a Christian since I was 16 I haven't uh, stepped away too far from from that centre since then from time to time there's been mistakes but uh, Christ has always been there to pick us up Mm. so I was saved when I was 16 and it was in response to a song that uh, my mother used to listen to, A Closer Walk With Thee. It was a low time in my life, and it was a, a simple midnight experience with a guitar in the middle of the gardens in Queenstown. Wow. That's an awesome way to get yeah. saved. Just you, you, yourself, the Holy Spirit, playing the guitar in the gardens. Yeah. Yeah, if you listen to the lyrics, it's amazing what that song will do. Wow. That... That led to me being offered a place to stay, thrive and grow from some Christians who we I sort of met randomly. Who, um, Doreen just approached me when I was at um, Carter's after I'd left school and offered me a place to stay so that I could continue my education because I'd then have somewhere to, somewhere to live. Mm. Um those people showed me compassion, forgiveness, acceptance, regardless of my lack of knowledge and understanding of Christianity. It was a steep learning curve, and I made plenty of mistakes. But the way that they responded is what has caused stability in in me, I believe. And fast-tracking a little bit, I served my time as a carpenter. Uh, and... Following that, or during that period, I ended up with chronic asthma, which led to hundreds of, or a hundred or so admissions into hospital um, over over a ten year period. Hundred admissions. Yeah, yeah. Far out. It's one every week. 
over uh, 10 years, yeah, really. About one every three three to four weeks. I was wow. spending one wow. week in hospital, which made it difficult to find work. Um, so then following that period, I started a horse trek, which was through the forest in Queenstown at the top of the gondolas. That's when I met Jules, and who was a teacher at, or learning teachers college and university in Dunedin. That's my mum for anybody listening. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Jules. Yeah. Yep. So Jules really picked me up at a low point in my life with finding it difficult to work, spending so much time in hospital and also trying to run a business. I'd poured all my life savings into that and most of that had dwindled by the time I'd met Jules. In fact, it was well in the negatives by then. Our first, one of our first dates was a cousin of Julie's wedding, which I went to. Halfway through, I was admitted into hospital, and I was in Q Hospital for three weeks. At that time, one of the more serious attacks that I've had um, required um, to be revived at that point. So that was a near, a near death one, was it, Mark? Yeah, that was a that, that one was a bit close to the wind. That was a um, real serious asthma attack. I think I was at the wedding and it was our first date. Didn't know anyone, and I was too embarrassed to ask for an ambulance. Um, Julie's dad drove me into the hospital following the wedding, but I'd left my run a bit late. By the time I got there, um, after Jules and Neil had left, I had a collapse, which I haven't really mentioned to Jules. Um, there's one way to break it to her. Yeah. <laughs> Over the podcast, yeah. yeah, yeah. 45 years too late. But. A little bit embarrassing passing out after a wedding, but I wasn't drinking that much. Um, one of the guys in the ward that I was there died uh, a few days later of asthma. Um, I realised I was in a ward where they weren't sure if you're going to survive or not. But we did. Jeez. We got, following that... Um, Jules and I got married within the, the following year. Then we've had we had three boys. We built <coughs> homes. We built a home, um, sold the home. Julie got a job teaching in Queenstown, and we've been here ever since. We had three sons, all of them which we're really proud of. And and Joel with his podcast, I'm so honoured to be called his dad with what him and George and, uh, are doing here, and the other Joel. And Todd. And Todd. And Todd. And Todd. Shout out for Todd. Good on you, Todd. <laughs> Todd's at work today. Thanks, Todd. Yeah, someone's got to make it. <laughs> Can I just jump in with the asthma? Because um, you'd have these frequent attacks. Um, however, you were, uh, your heart was captured um, by the Lord in the gardens. With those attacks, did you find um, Jesus was sort of with you each time? Or was was it a fearful thing every time going into the hospital? I didn't have asthma when I was 16. When I got saved, I was quite healthy. The difficult part was, at that point, is that I actually couldn't read when I was um, 16. But I had managed to get a school certificate. And I could write, which was a little bit unusual, but 
I had my classmates had discovered that I couldn't read and were giving me a bit of a hard time. And then the people I was living with had got a transfer through to North Island and said that I had to find somewhere else to live, and that was a little bit difficult to find something. I was a bit of a rough diamond, so probably not your best prospect as a tenant at that time. You know, <laughs> 16 broke and not um, being from Glenorchy, perhaps a little bit rougher than the average Queenstowner at the time. <laughs> a lot of hair. But, and then, but the asthma allowed me to cope with death in a way or facing death with knowing that Christ was there for me. Asthma didn't really start until I started carpentering and the aroma of cutting the cutting the timber is what was causing the asthma but we didn't realise that at the time. And of course that led to my boss being pretty supportive with allowing me to spend a week in hospital every now and again, which was maybe every two to three weeks sometimes, sometimes six weeks. Summers were better. Winters were pretty tough. So does that answer you? Yeah, so you got pretty comfortable with the with being right next to death's door. Well, I quickly realised that that's not the end. That mm. It's only just but the beginning. And... As you learn to trust in, in in God and learn to trust in Christ, the more you learn to trust in Christ. It's something that grows and grows and grows until mm. eventually you realize that death is nothing but a door in which mm. you're going to end up in heaven and that's where life begins mm. in my view. So this is really just a chance for us to this life is just a chance for us to to honour our God, to appreciate that Jesus died for our sins, to mm. be part of a greater kingdom, mm. to learn what it is to be a son and a daughter of the Most High God. One of uh, the things that Pastor Corey said the other week, which really stood out to me, is um, right now in our time living, is the only time in eternity when we can really suffer for Christ. That's this true. is it. We've if and um when we do eventually die, um we will only ever be abundantly living. But right now we can choose to show our love for him by well, being um living sacrifices and not abandoning him in the bad times mm. because we're definitely not going to abandon him in the good times when we're in heaven, but now we get the chance to really show that we're not going to abandon him in the bad times. Mm. And that's just incredible that um, you face death so frequently and growing up as your son, that's that's been a, a huge impact in my life, watching you go in and out of hospital because you still go to hospital a fair amount, not every couple of weeks anymore, but... Um, I think you probably should sometimes. It's um, <laughs> these asthma attacks every other morning, but he just powers through it these days. And I think any any other person would probably go to hospital. Um, but it's 
it's been a real strength in my life to be able to watch that, um, I guess, the stubbornness to stay alive, you know, and um, and the purpose that's driven through that, um, where a lot of others might have given up, and you've had this revelation that, you know, whether you live, you're here to live as Christ, and whether you die, to die is to gain as you go into Christ. Um, and you really walk that out, which is really cool to see. Mm. Um, it's what Paul says, you live as Christ and to die is gain. Mm. Uh, it's definitely evident, uh, evident in your life, for sure. Oh, thank you. It's good to hear from the son. Sometimes life throws things at you. My last admission to the hospital, they said they couldn't treat me because of COVID-19. Mm. So my reluctance to go to the hospital for treatment now uh, is a little bit affected by the decision of the medical staff there. Mm. If you go into a hospital these days wheezing and coughing, yeah, they're not that interested mm. in everybody puts the PPE gear on, which is the right thing to do, but, and then they don't like you, you they won't give you nebulizers because of the, yeah. the gases. Mm. So it does make it a little bit more difficult to live with knowing that you've, string to your bow has been broken. Mm. What a blessing it is as well living in New Zealand where COVID isn't rampant around. I think it's one of the only countries um, at the at the time that we don't have community cases just everywhere, and um, you're able to walk around without a mask and without because that's one of the things that COVID affects is the respiratory system. Mm. So um, with your asthma, that's one of the definitely a weakness. Um, and God's put you in this country, and it's like a safeguard for right now. It's amazing. Yeah, I, I'm. Constantly amazed how God forms the path before you. Mm. He orders the steps. Like just prior to COVID nineteen, I had done around about six flights in and out of Asia. Getting back in November, the outbreak was in December, and that if I had been caught over there, that disease could could have been spread. Mm. into Asia a lot faster than what it could have been and I easily could have been caught there with the work that Julie and I were doing there mm. I believe that God's got this mm. you know we've um, it's a thing that the Holy Spirit's put in me God's got this uh, our, my grandson Joel's nephew had cancer last year at the age of seven it was AML leukemia, and his chances of survival were not that great. Mm. But the Holy Spirit family put in my spirit, I've got this. Yeah. And we've been able to hold on to that as a family. Mm. Mm. So, Mark, one thing I noticed about you uh, over the few years that I've, I've come to know you is, oh no. is <laughs> the buoyancy and the way that the Lord carries you and has carried you through the years. I mean, we were just talking earlier on before we come on here about um, a, a few events and a few traumatic events that you've gone through in your life, and I am just amazed at what you have accomplished in your life with your family and and you supporting 
your sons and their families as well. Um, just phenomenal stuff. I um, because you went through a, a really really traumatic um car crash. Yeah, some years ago, and 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 just coming through. How how did you? Mm. What, what was going on then at, at that time of your life? Well, that was just Boxing Day, two thousand and one. We were heading off with our usual camping to our camping spot. Jolly was in the car ahead, or a few cars ahead. I was in a van with my oldest son, who was eleven at the time. Joel was, I think, was might have been seven, and Marcus might have been eight, nearly nine. Uh, I a boat come out from behind our car as they fishtail sometimes. If you're going a bit quick, I was in a van, and my the boat took part of my head, including my left eye, um, knocked it out, um, broke my neck in four places, broke my ne- one leg, crushed a knee, and gave me a a, a brain injury. Uh, it Gosh. led to quite a quite a few weeks and in between intensive care and the high dependency unit in Dunedin Hospital. I was escorted there by helicopter. My medical notes that I decided to read after spending a bit of time, you've got to do something, said that the medical report from the ambulance said there were no chance of survival. That the doctors, the surgeons, following the surgeries, they operated on my brain and they operated on my face to put it back together again. My arm had been degloved, so they had to use one leg to put tissue into my arm to stop it from dying. And it looked a bit of a mess. When you look at the mirror, you don't recognise yourself. And then the surgeon comes through and says, Mark, you need to realise that things have changed. You'll never work again. Of course... I had an 11-year-old, a 7-year-old, a 9-year-old, and no means of support, is what he was saying to me. Mm. It led it led me to either give up or get up, and by this stage I was working as an architectural designer that I took up after the uh, carpentry was no longer an option, being allergic to timber. It amazes me every time you're faced with a huge difficulty, like I was told I couldn't do any carpentry again, and that led to design. The design is what I always wanted to do. Mm. Mm. Out of the tragedy, Christ creates the opportunity. Mm. All we have to do is reach out and grab it. The accident, George, is actually something I want to talk about because... I visited a friend in Christchurch Hospital who had been badly burnt and I realised that he was, how helpless he was feeling because he had a young family. He was a main breadwinner and he suddenly was no longer able to tile again. His, his arms and his legs and his body had been third degree burns and was going to spend a long, long, or is spending a long time in hospital. And visiting him, I realised he needed hope. So 
this story, if we want to talk about that, is about hope. So I was in hospital three weeks, told I'd never work again. My brain was all confused. I had to learn to walk. I had to learn to right. collect my words and learn a whole lot of things to get going again. And then after spending some time at home, because of my brain injury, Julie was now making the decisions for the family um, on her own instead of as a couple. My eldest son, Josek, who's had wisdom beyond his years, had stepped up to the plate as a 12, 13-year-old and was helping Jules with the boys, helping Jules around the house. He was just amazing. He was Julie's right-hand man. And he continued that role right up until the day he got married in our family. But when you're lying on the couch, when you're looking at your family and you know that your place is to lead this family. I asked Christ, the Holy Spirit, how do I, how, do, how does a man, when he's lost everything, lead his family? And the Holy Spirit said, you can't lead anybody unless you're going somewhere. At best, you're gathering a crowd. So... I had read some investment books on Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and anything else I could lay my hands on. I'd been to uh, a, a great friend, uh, someone I'd always honour and always be grateful to Don Mann, who helped us through a course that put us on the investment road. This led to Julie and I investing in property in Queenstown. We built some apartments. Even though that was really difficult, eventually that led to passive income. That passive income, I believe, has set us apart from most of our peers. God has had his hand on it. We ended up providing accommodation for 30, 40, 50 people in Queenstown throughout that trip. And mm. that assisted the recovery, knowing that I didn't have to get up every day and go to work. I didn't have to. I still had to work. I, I still had to relearn what my relearn my trade as a draftsman. I had to relearn how to how to think, how to the laws of of the design work. But I had time with that. Mm. Um, can I just jump back into the car accident? Because um, that one event, uh, there's so many testimonies in that one event. Um, it's in my testimony um, that's also on here. Um, and it's that so many different people have 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 stories that couldn't have happened without God. In there, and um, I just want to shine a light on one of them in particular that I just find astounding, and that's the the phone number one of Pastor Rob. Yeah, would you be able to share that with everyone? Sure. Um, the situation was that I was in hospital. Julie hadn't arrived 
there yet. And so the medical team had called my parents in Glenorchy and asked them to come through to Dunedin, which brought my brother as well. And they, when they arrived, they asked for permission to turn the life support off. And my mum refused to do that, saying that that was Julie's responsibility, Julie's choice on whether that would happen or not. And at that time, she was unable to answer a phone. There's no cell phone coverage where we were, and it was like right in the beginning of cell phone days. Then I realised that mum was there, and... During my previous admissions into hospital, my parents hadn't gone. They hadn't turned up. And to see my parents in the hospital, I thought this has got to be bad for them to turn up. And so I asked my mum if she could bring Pastor Rob, who was our pastor at the church at the time, and mention that I've got something wrong with my eye, if he would pray for it. And she said she didn't have the number. So I gave Pastor gave mum a phone number, it was one digit out. But the weird thing was, is that I gave her his home number, which I... From memory, by the way. From memory, from the hospital bed. At this stage, I was in the hospital, I couldn't... One arm was badly broken, was degloved. The other one had so many drips and stuff on it. My head was so swollen, I couldn't see and I could hardly think. And I gave mum that phone number. She managed to get hold of Rob with that phone number. And that changed the doctor's decision to turn the machines off. Wow. Mm. That's amazing. But that um, number was his private number. Yeah, that was One that he doesn't give out to anyone. Yeah, it was a private number, not listed. Not listed. His unlisted one. I'd only contacted him through the church prior to that. Mm. So I've also got the same story out of my nana, which Helen, uh, your mum that you're talking about is in this story, had the same testimony relayed from her perspective. And it's very, it's the same. Um, but she expands on when she called Pastor Rob. And um, she said, Mark wants you to pray for him. And he just goes, okay, starts praying. And my nana doesn't go to church. And um, this prayer goes for maybe 20 minutes or something like that. And then about halfway through, she interrupts him and goes, this is all good, Mr. Mister Rob, but um, how on earth am I supposed to remember all of this to tell him? <laughs> <laughs> and he says, don't worry, it's the work's already been done. Um, God's working on it. Yeah, it's just... Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah, uh, just an incredible... Like, that's something that no one can... There's no way you would know what that number was. And in the state that you're in, either. Mm. Like, it's not that you had seen that number anywhere, it was unlisted. Um, And you were lying in the bed, probably whole head bandaged up um and yeah just relayed that over just nothing like it has to be the holy spirit that's that's the amazing 
part about it. And there's there's more. There's so many testimonies. There's one where you get in your head stroked by no one in the room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jules was – I was in um, – oh, so that phone number was a 3 o'clock in the morning job just after the accident, like wow. prior to the operations as well. So, uh, like, to let you – to give you an understanding, my brain was exposed on the side of the road. Um, and which is why they see there's no chance of survival. The blood loss would be too great. It was originally wrapped in someone's T-shirt with no... Uh, it was a T-shirt that someone was wearing to stop the blood from coming through. So the risk of infection was pretty high. The... The... Support that... I got from Jules was incredible. She was supporting boys that were in shock and she was driving down to Dunedin. I just can't relay strongly enough how important that was. Like, I knew mm. that, that uh, Jules loved me and she'd always supported me through my trips into hospital before. But this time she was there, it felt like every step of the way even though I realised that she was travelling up and down, trying to look after the boys, trying to keep the family together, trying to work out what's going to happen now. Do I go back to school? Do we do we move to Invercargill to a cheaper place to live or whatever? She was had, must have had a million decisions on her mind. And she was constantly there. And in my mind, and I was at one stage... Uh, this fades in and out for me, but Jules told me that I was lying in the in the in the bed. Of course, I couldn't see anything, and I said to Jules, "Just keep doing what you're doing." And she said, uh, "She said, uh, what am I doing?" And I said, "Just keep striking my head." And it was where it was damaged, as I, as I later learned, and. And every time that head got straight, it just felt like it was getting healed. And Julie said, I'm not touching you. She wasn't doing anything. And I firmly believe that there was the, the hand of Christ or the angels just administering healing strike by strike at that time. Mm. And to put it into context, the hospital staff years later we had a meeting and they said that no one has ever returned to work from that extent of the brain injury in medical history in New Zealand. Wow. Most people with a brain injury return to work at a at a level of labour. Mm. Not not however the reality is that we have run a reasonably successful architectural practice following that and I was able to operate at an executive level possibly above where I was before. Mm. And I credit to the Holy Spirit. When he heals, he doesn't heal half. He doesn't heal a little bit. He restores completely. And beyond. And beyond. Yeah. Mm. Praise the Lord. That's incredible. Absolutely amazing. Um, so following that accident, what's, um, where have you come? So you've, you 
you built the houses um, and you developed passive income? Well, yeah, yeah, we have. But to be fair, I'm not really bright enough to do all that. And not particularly a high achiever. But one thing I did learn is to listen to the Holy Spirit. And I realized very quickly that my limited amount of knowledge was was the Holy Spirit was easy, easily able to fill in the gaps of what I didn't know. And I felt as though everything we did was in partnership with Christ, with the Holy Spirit. And so therefore, if he's your business partner, then why not go to the one who knows everything? There's no point in having a, a partner who's a doctor and... If I'm the janitor in the same practice and we're in partnership, there's no point in the patients coming to the janitor for advice, even though I'm a partner in the business. They might as well go to the doctor who's the partner. Mm. And in this case, the Holy Spirit is definitely the doctor when it comes to investing. He's the doctor when it comes to the the wisdom that you might, people say, oh, Often, you know, some people say to me that they um, appreciate the wisdom, appreciate the understanding, but the reality is the Holy Spirit has the wisdom. Mm. The Holy Spirit has the understanding. Absolutely. All I have to do is relay it, and Mm. he's really been faithful in that area. And so the, the investments that we've made, some of them sometimes I've missed it completely sometimes I've gone off on my own strength and those have been the difficult jobs but the times that I've asked for the Holy Spirit's guidance in in business and family and music and mm. wherever in the adventures that we that we've uh, managed to achieve uh, the opportunities that Christ put in front of us even though the opportunities there it always pays to just check, is this an opportunity for me? Mm. And the Holy Spirit, I was reading yesterday about using, God puts things in your hand so that to help you in the journey that he, he has for you. So we need to learn to learn what's in our hand, use what's in our hand, and that's what he's given us. Don't try and use what's in somebody else's hand, but look for what he's put in your hands, and that way life is a lot easier, mm. a lot more simple. That's good. Yeah. Relying on God, um, people often pray, um, how do I get closer to you? How do I um, just uh, worship you? And it's all usually focus Sunday central. Um, you go to church and, and you're only focusing on God on Sundays. And it's so cool to see a businessman focusing on God in all areas of his life. Mm. Um, so on Sundays going to worship, but then on Mondays praying, saying, Lord, how do I, how do you want me to, to design this house? How do you want me to organize this group of people, uh, these carpenters, these tradies, um, and, and, what's the right decision here and and just giving it to the lord it's very very powerful to see 
somebody operating that way. And that's what I believe true wisdom is. Mm. True wisdom, like there's man's wisdom, which has faults, and then there's God's wisdom, which is totally perfect. And um, we as Christians can access that wisdom in partnership with Christ. Mm. Um, And often I imagine like a car and people think that you can drive – you know, super good in the car, and um, you got the professional driver, not just in the passenger seat, not in the back seat, but you got him like in the boot of the car a lot of the time, and that's Jesus mm. <laughs> in our lives. But maybe we need to take him out of the boot and put him in the driver's seat, and and learn how he how to operate um, on on that level. And often it just takes that humility to pull over, rest mm. in the Lord. Take him out of the boot, put him in the driver's seat, mm. and uh, he'll he'll direct our paths. Mm. Yeah, very very cool, Dad. Yeah, I think when it comes to the Holy Spirit, I think every perhaps everybody's experience is different, but it didn't really become apparent until I learned to shut up. Sometimes I found that I was either so busy praying, so busy complaining, so busy doing <laughs> something else to God when you go for your walk. The, the, you're so busy speaking in tongues. You're so busy mm. doing everything else. And I remember one day arriving early for a music practice, which is not really my practice. I'm usually late. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, Paul, <laughs> Mal, and all those that have forgiven me. However... <laughs> One time I was there about 20 minutes early, and usually if I was early for anything, I would turn the radio on, I would check my phone for appointments and see what I had to do for the day, but this was a Sunday morning, it was quite early, and it was almost like the Holy Spirit said, just leave the radio off for a minute and just shut up, I want to talk to you. And that experience has led to a greater understanding because... Hmm. It's sometimes it's the still quiet time that we hear his voice, mm. not mm-hmm. you know like sometimes we're trying to have a conversation with someone. Like mm. um, I've had a few conversations with some people who talk so much about themselves that they they don't realise that you've left the room twenty minutes ago. <laughs> and. Um, Remember my mum on the phone, I used to be able to put the phone down and head off for 20 minutes and come back and pick it up and she was still going. <laughs> and um, sometimes we can be like that when it comes to God. You know, we're so busy asking, requesting, praying for somebody else, uh, quoting the Bible scriptures, all these sort of things. And they're all great, but we also need to learn to give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to speak to us. Mm. Sometimes mm. it's not about him not speaking to us, it's about us yeah. giving him the opportunity to speak to us. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, would you like to share a little bit about, um, if we just fast forward to almost now, really, um, on your time in Cambodia and how you and Sergio and Julie built a school for how many children? Uh, about 400. Wow. Yeah, so Sergio, a, a really good friend of mine, I'd had him in New Zealand doing some maintenance work for us, and him and I were building a deck outside our house, and he came in and asked if I could, if I would design a school for 
some Cambodian kids that he had met that were currently going to school in um, sort of a run-down building. Um, they had no floor in it. And so Jules and I decided to meet the surgeon Cambodia and have a look to see what was needed before we designed the school. There's no point in designing it with um, with timber if there isn't any if there aren't any trees. Mm. So we went over to Cambodia. We met the children. Jules fell in love with the kids. We all fell in love with the kids, to be fair. And we developed a relationship very quickly with the teacher. There were there were more than one teacher. There was about 140 kids going to the school at the time. And Sergio had made a promise to give these kids a school. So Jules and I tucked in behind Serge with his promise and decided not only to design the school but to build it. And the whole experience is something that has been one of the greatest privileges of our lives. Jules and I working together with Sergio, he who remained in Cambodia for four years during that project while we got it off the ground. We went from having nothing, not speaking the language, to through opportunity after opportunity that only only Christ, only God can provide, where the governor gave us three and a half hectares of land in the new village. We ended up getting the support of the Serengeti Foundation in the US mm. for financial support for almost 30% of what went in. The generosity of the of our friends and family that have given us financial assistance to, to get there mm. has been incredible. So we ended up building a school that... It is. It had. A, it has a concrete tiled floor, beautiful tiles. It's brick and it's mortar. It itself ventilates. Of course, it's about thirty-five to forty degrees in Cambodia and up to forty-five, forty-eight degrees sometimes. We put solar power on it, which they didn't have power. We mm. put in pump and we provide water for the village. The village is now growing to around about ten thousand people. The school now has four hundred kids. Wow. There, uh, the generosity of businesses in Queenstown where, who've given Jacques Oliver a shout out for Jacques and Bloomy have faithfully supported the school with mm. computers and finance. Um, and while I'm here, I'd just like to thank all those that, you, even though you've given us finance, but every time that happened, we have realised that people are behind what we're doing. It's very easy to second-guess yourself when you're doing something like this to say, is it the right thing to do? Um, Why am I doing this? It's too difficult. Mm. And that opportunity, maybe I can expand on it later, but the days, you know, the flights in and out of Cambodia, which is why I was spending so much time in Asia before, was... Exhausting. I remember my last flight coming home thinking, if I never suck down any more jet fuel, I'll be happy <laughs> on the last trip. But we've 
you know, in the same day we met the poorest of the poor and we met the governor of the state in the same day. Mm. I spoke to the Minister of Education and the government and the Royal Family commissioned a medal for Julie and I for the work that to for humanitarian contribution wow. in Cambodia, which was our last trip requested by the Cambodian government for the work that we'd done there. But that's all very good, but it doesn't compare to the to the the smiles and the joy of those kids just having a clean classroom, just having toilets for the mm. first time, having yeah. medical facilities, having clean water to drink, clean mm. water to wash, and watching the villagers coming up and filling their their jars with clean water mm. that they could only buy before now. They had an endless, almost an endless supply of clean, fresh water, which of course reduces ninety percent of the sickness in the area. Mm. You can bring as many doctors as you like, but without clean water, you're going to have mm. you're going to have disease. Yeah. To be part of that is a massive privilege that the Holy Spirit has given Julie and I. And I realised that without the without the investments that He led us to in the beginning. Mm. We would never been able to have the opportunity to be able to afford to contribute at that level. Mm. And um, yeah, the Bible talks about um, for you know all bad things, God can create good for those who love Him. Um, and you said a quote earlier: um, "Out of tragedy, Christ creates opportunity." And watching your life from start to end. And you see you learning how to put a business together with the horse trick. You learning how to depend on God with your asthma. You learning how to rebuild a business and reshape it after your car accident and depend on God simultaneously uh, to learn new skills and to rely on God on direction, where to go, only to follow through with at the very end, um, you know, 60 years old and... Uh, almost 60, you're in your 50s. Oh yeah, I'm still in 50s if still anyone's watching ne- and listening. Next month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and you've developed a school in Cambodia with the skills that God's taught you over your life on how to create something out of nothing, how to manage money the right way, and how to depend on God in an impossible situation. Um, nobody would be able to step up and do things. It sort of reminds me of Moses. Um when Moses first leaves Egypt, he had murdered someone, you know, and and left. Not that you killed anyone, Dad, but <laughs> um, he had fled into the wilderness, into um, another nation, and then God brings him back, but that turns that tragedy around into Moses needing to depend on God for everything. And it's it's cool to see that out of all bad things that happen in your life, God has reverse engineered it to be good and for his will. Mm. And the amount of people that have um, been changed and transformed through the work that you've done for, like with God's name, has been absolutely incredible. And you've shared with us about all the different people being able to partner in the blessing of God. Um, Your favorite verse in Proverbs uh, 
for those who lend to the Lord, uh, those who uh, give to the poor lend to the Lord, um, which is, where is that, Proverbs? Proverbs 19, verse 17. 19, 17. Those that are kind to the Lord, um, those that are kind to the poor lend to the Lord, yeah. and he will reward them. Mm. Is, mm. Um, the scripture that God gave us. If I can, I'll just, the school itself has been amazing. It had, and every, it, when I look back now, if you're attempting to do this, it's almost impossible. Mm. I don't know how you could, we, the opportunities that Christ has led us to from day one, almost, you know, like, remember our first trip back, we we called in at the Landmine Museum, and I noticed on the Landmine Museum a photo of the school that we were replacing. However, on the documents that were coming through on the computer, it had the wrong address. And I thought that that these people were milking people for through false claims. So I asked to see the manager, and I challenged him on this claim. And the guy who looked at it, he immediately looked at it and said, oh, that's a typo, we must fix that. How do you know? Now that guy, Bill and Jill Morse, in Akira, um, who's a director of the Landmine Museum, Akira started it, they defuse landmines. They look after children. They have a massive work. They're currently putting in hydroponic tents to feed people because there's no tourism in Cambodia at the moment and it's not a Christian cause but those people are feeding the poor, those people are being kind to the Mm. poor and Mm. the Lord will reward them but Bill sent his landmine crew up to clear the landmines you don't realise that doing a school in Cambodia the first thing you've got to do is get rid of the landmines because they're Mm. not really conducive for the school and how do you find a bomb squad mm. in a foreign country when you don't speak the language? Mm. How do you fund a f- bomb squad? How do you find out what you need to do? Bill had built about 40-odd schools at that stage. He said, I needed to get an M, uh, ministry uh, memorandum of understanding drawn up in Kamar. Mm. And then I flew in to sort this out one day. When Serge and I were walking down the street, I suddenly realised that it was a Cambodian... New Year. No one was working, least of all the lawyers that I was looking for, to draw up the memorandum of understanding. I was walking down the street wondering, I've flown halfway around the world to get this done and everybody's on holiday and not even in the town. And I, we, Serge and I were walking along, we had prayed about it. We saw this little tiny dog about the size of a cat sitting on this motorbike, and it had police dog written on it. We thought it was quite funny. We went up to pat the dog, and this English guy come up and started talking to us. It was his dog. It was his motorbike. He was living in in San Reap, and he asked us what we were doing, and we talked to him about the school and said that we needed to find a lawyer to write a memorandum of understanding or translate one from English that I'd written into Kamar. And he said, oh, my girlfriend's Kamai and speaks English. She'll do it for you. 
So I handed him a memorandum of understanding. Within 24 hours, we had a Kamar memorandum of understanding full of errors, ready to go. <laughs> full of errors. Mm-hmm. But those errors also led to getting it done absolutely perfectly for the school because wow. the director of education who saw it said that he would get his staff to correct it. So he pulled in the government staff during New Year to write the Memorandum of Understanding so that the governor would sign it. And then because we had that, the governor agreed to meet us the day before his brother's funeral. Wow. And that led us to receiving the land legally, led us to getting the approvals that we needed and other charities have contacted me over the last year or so and they said, how did you get that school built in Cambodia within just over two years from start to finish? Mm. And I said, that's just what you do. And they said, that is lightning speed. They said, we have not found anybody else in the world that's been able to do that. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's because Praise the, Lord. the Holy Spirit was in control. Mm. Not because... And because we weren't, we can't produce the opportunities of finding Bill and Jill Morse, let alone a lawyer in the middle of a command new year, mm. let alone getting the government out of bed at six o'clock in the morning, which they did to write the memorandum before the 10 o'clock meeting with the governor. Wow. And without them writing it, it wouldn't have been correct. Mm. Mm. So even the mistakes mm. that were in that original memorandum were used for good, Incredible. to make it happen. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Um, George, did you want to share anything? Mark, I, I love how you listen to the Holy Spirit. You you stop and you take your time and ask Him for direction for you know major things in your life. And I've seen that with my own life, where at some stage soon I'm going to share my testimony. And part of that is I I was about to lose my dad in ICU hospital. And I had two people who spoke into my life and helped me get my faith directed and centered on God. And, and I saw a miracle out of that. And um, I just love that about you, Mark. And, and just seeing, you know, your whole life, man, coming from like singing in a guitar in, in uh, mm-hmm. Queenstown in a garden, getting saved by God, and then going through these traumatic experiences where, you know, by all all possible means you should have not been here but god's pulled you through that and then out of that just watching mm. watching you uh you know grow your family and 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 uh build a school in cambodia i mean like man who who does that you know that's Absolutely. just not on the natural radar of you know yeah. um and yeah all things work together for the good of those who love god and are called according to his purpose and i just see that you know the the purpose of God is is not, uh, you know, it's not going to be postponed or put off just because we go through some traumatic experiences. But you know, when we lean and trust upon God, He brings us through all that, and, r- and we rise up over those challenges and circumstances. Mm. Yeah, that's just amazing, Mark. So powerful. It's yeah, it's crazy. such an honor to be called your son. <laughs> you know, after a lot of that, I hadn't heard, um, but. A lot of it I had heard, but um, 
throughout the whole thing, you're giving all the glory to Christ. Mm. You know, it, it it's incredible. Yeah, fully. Well, I think I think we have Julie and Sergio who also have a strong faith. Mm. Um, Julie's incredible, like. If you go into our bathroom, there's just scriptures and notes and everything all over the tiles where for people that we causes us to pray in the morning when we have a shower, when we brush our teeth at night. And every time God pulls you through, it, it strengthen, strengthens your faith. Mm. The, the challenge that I have is that a lot of people hear the, Holy, they hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. A lot of people know what needs to be done, but sometimes people don't do what needs to be done. Mm. They stand back and they let somebody else do it. And also, when you are doing it, you expect other people to get in behind you. It's not always the case. Like, and like, it's the case of God's put it in your hand, you deal with it. Don't don't go to the pastor and say, oh, I've been talking to the Holy Spirit, we need to do this, when are you going to do it? Or to a friend, if Christ is really talking to you about it, then it's your job. Mm. If you've got the opportunity, then you do it. And by doing it, you'll be blessed beyond measure. Mm. You'll, you'll have things that will bless others. Mm. And life will not be boring. It just life. We have had a truly blessed life, and Christ has been with us every step of the way. Even when we step out of line, mm. even when we are away, even when we're angry, He's still there. There's a song that says, uh, "You're when you're you're always working." The Holy Spirit is always working, and um, I'm just trying to think of the name of it. But when through the tragedies, with we've had mm. a near-death experience with Julie a couple of years ago, and where we really had to dig into the Holy Spirit, and the experience that we've had in Cambodia before then enables you to dig real deep. Mm. So I just encourage you to listen. Oh, yeah, it might do. be Waymaker. Yeah, think, Waymaker. You're thinking of Waymaker? Yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah thanks, George. Um, and we, you know, like Christ has also surrounded us with great people, with George and Martin and Joe and Joel and Marcus, uh, sons, mm. both working with us. It's a real privilege to have that family connection. Mm. Yeah, it's an absolute honour, Mark. Yeah. Hey, and uh, thanks for coming on today and, and sharing some of your story. It's been, um, it's been amazing. I know there's a whole lot more in there as well. It's a whole lot more we haven't heard. Yeah, we'd really like to get you back on and expand on uh, the different chapters in your life um, in more detail. Um, Cost you twice as much next time. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. I'm paying you nothing, so twice, <laughs> twice of that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and those that are listening, uh, you might have heard um, when Mark was talking about uh, his grandson having cancer. We have um, Mal Hillary's episode number 24 
Um, if you want to listen to that, that goes into more detail about Eli getting cancer. And um, my testimony on episode 6 overlaps a lot with Dad's car accident. Um, and my personal story involves seeing a, another angelic encounter. Mm. Very similar um, and very cool. Um, yeah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, mm. Dad. Thanks, we, Mark. Thanks for having me and thanks for listening, everyone. It's an amazing story. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, come back and share more with us on the podcast, uh, Mark, when you're ready. And um, we'll see you on the next episode of The Jesus Magnet. Thank you for listening. <laughs>